Welcome to the continued study through the book of Jonah. We are now in chapter 2. Chapter 2 of the book of Jonah. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and we're going to read the whole chapter. Here we go. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So if you're following along with the parallel outline that we talked about in the very, very beginning, remember we had a uh, one theme, uh, theme number one, the commissioning of Jonah, and that was divided up into two parts, 1A and 1B. And then we had the second theme, which would be Jonah and the pagans, um, and that's divided up into 2A and 2B. And now we find ourselves with uh, the third part of that parallel outline. Uh, we are in 3A, which is Jonah's prayer, or Jonah's prayer time. And here we have chapter 2, fully dedicated to that uh, theme number 3A, and this is uh, what the whole chapter is, is basically the prayer of Jonah. But something that I do want to call your attention to is beginning in verse 2, uh, in my Bible, um, verse 2 through verse 6 is kind of set off as a separate paragraph, and then uh, verse 7 is a separate paragraph, and then verse 8 and verse 9 are a separate paragraph. A lot of times whenever you see that in your Bible, the editors are attempting to communicate something to you uh, that oftentimes gets lost in uh, translation. Um, so anytime you see, uh, as you're going through your Bible, particularly if you have a study Bible and there's things broken out like that, um, go back and actually read the introduction to your Bible. Uh, maybe look in the table of contents or see if there's an index or something like that that will explain to you what's going on. Why did the people who put your Bible together, why did they edit it that way? Here, like I said, verses 2 through 6 are set off as almost like a separate paragraph. And uh, one of the reasons for that is because when you look at this particular section of Jonah's prayer, you'll notice that it follows what's called a chiastic pattern. So just like we had a parallel outline for the entire book of Jonah, what you're going to have here is something very similar where you have an A theme that's introduced at the beginning, 
and that same theme reoccurs at the end. So you could almost think of this as um, if you were doing an outline, you would start uh, your point number one, and in this case, point number one is going to be repeated at the bottom of your outline. And then maybe you indent a little bit, maybe a half inch, and you come in with point number two, and then next to the last point um, at the end of your outline, you'll see point number two again. And then in the middle, you'll have point number three, and even that point will be broken into a subpoint A and a subpoint B. And let me just um, explain that to you as we go through the verses together, and maybe you'll see what I mean. So starting with verse 2, he says, And I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Now jump down to verse 6. He says, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me, I'm sorry, you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. And it kind of messed up because whenever I read verse 2, I didn't read the whole thing. But we're going to break this down and I'm going to show you what I mean. Now remember, this isn't word for word. It's not meant to be word for word, but it's the same idea. Watch what happens. Again, verse 2, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. I'll go down to verse 6, the last two phrases of verse 6. He says, Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So you see Jonah crying out to God, and then you see God's answer. He brought him up out of the pit. And then go to the second half of verse 2. He says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And then the first part of verse 6. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Again, not the same words, but the same concept, the same idea. The belly of Sheol being down and uh, in the darkness somewhere, and he cries out from the belly of Sheol. And it says here in verse 6, he went down to the moorings of the mountains. What is a mooring? Well, it's where the mountains are anchored. In other words, he's down in the depths. And he says, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. So you have this concept of being down in the belly of Sheol, which is another word for hell, or in other places, Hadas or Hades. He says, I cried out with my voice from this deep place. And there in verse 6, he went down again to a deep place, the moorings of the mountains. And he feels like he's so far down in the depths that the earth has closed up its bars like prison doors forever. So you have this idea in verse 2, I called out to the Lord from the absolute depths. And then in verse 6, I was in the absolute depths. I called out to the Lord and he answered me. I hope this makes some sense to you. And then you look at verse 3 and you look at verse 5. Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. Now skip to verse 5. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. So again, 
a new theme here in verse 3, but it is repeated in verse 5. Same kind of idea, not word for word, but this idea of being cast into the deep, being surrounded by the billows and the floodwaters, and being in a place where the deep is closing in around you, and he even says, the weeds have wrapped around my head. So that's that second theme. And then in the very center of this poem, or this prayer, you have, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. So here you have the sight of God when he says, I've been cast out of your sight. He's talking about, again, reflecting back to chapter 1, where it says that he fled from the presence of the Lord. What he means by that is, I didn't want to be seen by God. I didn't want God's call on my life. I didn't want to look at God. I didn't want him looking at me. But now that I'm in this mess of my own doing, my own mess that I've made, yet I will look toward your holy temple out of the sight of God, yet I will look. So you have two words, sight and look, similar in meaning, not the exact same word, but the same concept. One being, I'm out of the sight of God, yet I will look toward him. So again, I hope that you can see a pattern here. What's the significance of that? Uh, in my opinion, and I call these James opinions, as you listen to the podcast, you're going to get more and more James opinions. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, they used to call them J-O, James opinion. In my opinion, when you see this kind of thing in uh, the scriptures, it's a beautiful thing. Um, does it prove that this is God's word? No, it doesn't prove that it's God's word. In fact, it is a feature of Hebrew poetry. Um, but to me, it is significant because you see it throughout the scripture. You see it in the book of Psalms. Uh, in the New Testament, you can even see it in the book of Jude. Jude um, is laid out as a uh, chiastic pattern for the entire short book that it is. So, Again, something for you to be on the lookout for. And I challenge you, go through the Bible. Look for these kinds of things where you have an idea mentioned at the beginning, repeated at the end, and then a second idea comes, and then look for it uh, near uh, its place near the end, and then a third idea, and then go up three from the bottom, and look, there's the same idea. And this can actually go on and on and on, and then it focuses in on a central theme in the very beginning, or I'm sorry, in the very middle, usually, of the poem. And in this case, uh, it's talking about being out of God's sight, yet looking back toward God. So, again, just something beautiful there in this prayer um, of Jonah, in the book of Jonah. So, I want to do a little bit of review here. Um, how did Jonah become a prophet in the Old Testament. Um, you know, there's not a single example of someone asking God uh, to be made a prophet. Think about that. Think about that. We don't have a single biblical example where we find somebody praying, asking God 
to make them a prophet or to give them the gift of prophecy. Um, recently, I saw a false teacher on uh, YouTube. Uh, as my wife and I sometimes say, on the YouTube, I saw this false prophet. And he was talking about uh, just just really and truly crazy things uh, that he was a prophet of God. And some of the things that he was talking about and just continuing to riff on, um, it was so clear and it was so plain to me that he was a false prophet. And the things that he was saying were not scriptural, did not line up with scripture. The way he was treating people, even uh, at that time, um, when he was supposedly prophesying, uh, he was just very much full of pride and it was arrogance and it was so clear. Um, but notice that a true prophet of God is chosen by God. God chose men uh, and he chose them in his time according to his plan to speak his voice to his people. Um, never was there an example of someone seeking after the gift of prophecy. So where am I going with that? Well, the truth is we don't really know how uh, that uh, God chose Jonah. We just know that it happened. We learn that um, God had a calling for Jonah. He had a purpose for Jonah to achieve. And all of chapter 1 is really about um, Jonah fleeing from God's presence. He did not want that God-given assignment. And so, as a result, Jonah finds himself in a very bad situation. It's a situation of his own doing, his own rebellion, but it's really uh, bad, <laughs> just the same. Even though he did it, um, he finds himself in the belly of a great fish. And you remember the story, um, and you remember the things I've said. If you haven't, go back and listen to the other podcasts. Um, I've heard speculation um, about uh, the contents of a whale's belly, or as the scripture calls it here, a large fish. Um, the heat would be extreme in that case. There'd be a smell. I mean, just imagine, if you can, um, the smell of dead and rotting fish uh, mixed with digestive juices and gas. And I don't want to be too gross here, but just imagine, if you can, the smell and the fumes and even possibly uh, that digestive acid getting onto your skin. No doubt he was in salt water and uh, bleaching out of the skin is starting to happen. I remember um, we are from Florida uh, and we've lived near the beach and I remember we had this thing that would be called red tide where um, there would be pollutants in the water and fish would literally just wash up on the shore dead and the smell would just be uh, awful and I would often you know I'd smell that and I would think of like what must Jonah have smelled in that place and it would be pitch black in there as well no wonder he says I'm in the belly of Sheol did he think he was dead? Did he think he was in hell? Was he afraid? Listen, I know I'd be afraid. <laughs> I would be afraid. And uh, perhaps he would have even felt, um, as I said, you know, that 
that burn of stomach acid and imagine um, gasping for breath. Imagine that, you know, maybe there's water in that mix and he's like trying to find a place where he can get some rest and where he can uh, maybe catch a breath of air. And I started to say fresh air, but it's not going to be fresh. Um, you know, did he even have enough oxygen? Uh, we know from Jonah's prayer that he felt the massive waves of the sea. I cannot imagine. Um, you know, I used to um, uh, be in the military. I used to fly on airplanes and I would be shook sometimes, felt like from one end to the other. Uh, there were times where I felt like I was as green as my flight suit. And I can't imagine the motion sickness that um, Jonah must have been going through at this time. He says that seaweed was around his head. Um, but we see that in the midst of Jonah's disobedience to God's command, um, that Jonah knew what to do. He knew that he had to cry out to God. He knew that if I'm not dead, if I'm not already in hell, the only hope, the only chance I have is to pray. He cried out to God. And what a response from Jonah in the midst of these terrible circumstances. And he realizes that he did it. And how do I know that he realizes that? Because he says, I will pay what I have vowed. You know, if we're in the midst of a bad situation, even if it's from our own doing, it's our own fault, we've got nobody to blame but ourselves. we should cry out to God. Remember, that's what Jonah did. So, here's some questions to think about as we go through chapter 2. Why did Jonah cry out to God? Why did he do it? What is Sheol. Why does Jonah say he's in Sheol's belly and not the belly of a fish? What is thanksgiving? Remember it says here in verse 9 toward the end of his prayer, he says, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Did you know 150 times in the Bible Christians are told to be thankful? 150 times. Think about that. Thankful even in the trial. Thankful even in the trial or the mess that I created because I'm God's. I'm his child. I am his servant. And God is at work in me. What do we learn from Jonah's thanksgiving? Where does salvation come from? Of whom is salvation? Again, Jonah says it in verse 9. He says, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Think about that. Here's another question. Did God call you to do something? The lesson which the Lord taught Jonah in the belly of the fish or in hell or in Sheol is the lesson which he will always teach his elect. And that is this. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Well, I hope that this has been a blessing to you. 
Um, I know it's a blessing to me to get to share with you from my heart. But I'm not just sharing from my heart. I'm coming to you today with a word from the Lord. And I hope that it is an encouragement to you. As always, I want you to be encouraged by the word of God. As always, I would remind you that we ought to be thankful that God recorded in his word the lives of these men and lives of women who had their flaws and failures and uh, things that they didn't do right, but yet God used them for his purpose, for his glorification. And I hope that as you study the book of Jonah, as you study Jonah's life, I hope that you can see, you know, maybe you've blown it. Maybe there have been times where you disobeyed. Maybe there was times where, you know, you find yourself in a mess and you know it's your fault and you don't have anybody to blame but yourself. You think you're in the belly of the well. Let me remind you that salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And remember that God may be bringing this all about in your life just to teach you one very important lesson. And that is, he is the God of salvation. So with that being said, we're going to stop it here. We'll continue on with chapter 2, part 2, in the next podcast. And hopefully uh, we will wrap it up in just two podcasts, not three or four. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next podcast.